Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. We can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hi, this is Anne-Marie here. So excited to welcome you back to another episode of Queer Business Success. Today in the studio, I have Randy Robbins. She uses uh, she, her pronouns, obviously, and she identifies as queer. So Randy has owned her own coaching business as a polyamory life and relationship coach. She helps people, both individual individuals and relationship net- networks, love on their own terms. Specific challenges Randy helps with with include dating, coming out as non-monogamous to family and friends, navigating feelings related to non-monogamy, and communication. You can find her and the work she does at randyrobbins.com. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. So tell me a little bit about your queer story. Yeah, so I grew up in California but not fun liberal California that maybe a lot of people are land California. Yeah. Farmland <laughs> California. Yeah. And a small town. And I figured out that I was queer around like junior high age, started to put words to it and very quickly learned from my peers that that was not going to be tolerated. Wow. Uh, yeah, got some bullying for that in middle school through high school, as well as just kind of generally being a weird kid, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't fit in. So my sister knew pretty early on. And uh, once I went away to college, I was kind of generally out to people, except like, you know, there are certain settings where like employers, right? Like I didn't mention it in the workplace. And then my parents didn't know. I was financially dependent on my parents through undergrad. I was like, okay, I can't tell them anything that might rock the boat. So it was just a a few years ago that I actually came out to my dad finally. And my mother's has passed, so I never had that conversation with her. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a, a general part of my story. I'm I'm in a I'm married to a cis man right now. Who knows what'll happen later? Uh, <laughs> just just kidding on that. But I also have a partner who is non-binary. I I've dated various people in the gender spectrum over time. And yeah, that's kind of the, the gist of it. So Would you always describe yourself as polyamorous or is that something you realized a little later on? Yeah, it's interesting. Some people do see polyamory as almost a sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And for me, I for me, it's more of a deliberate choice. Mm -hmm. So it's something I've chosen to practice on and off since I was 18. And it lines up with like my values about supporting the autonomy of my partners and people being able to love without restriction. 
but it hasn't always come easily. And so that, that would make it, for me, it was more of a deliberate choice rather than something I felt from the get-go that I had to do. Mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to a couple of other polyamory coaches over the years, and some of them, it was just, an, it, it was literally like an orientation. They were always just built that way. And it was just their, it was quote unquote, their normal. You know what I mean? It was their typical. Well, it sounds like for you, it's more of, it's a way for you to support your values and also let each partner you have, have their own autonomy and the decisions they make. How did a farm girl in California end up a polyamory coach? Ooh, so I've always been a helper. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's that's just something I've always been drawn to do. And so in my other work, I'm also a therapist and I've had a lot of people come to me over time. And I've seen it even in my interactions with my colleagues of other therapists like saying really ignorant things either like mean spirited things or just things like they just don't know they, you know, they're uninformed and they expect the person they're working with to educate them. You know, I've seen also people who needed help who didn't want to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. So the draw to me of coaching and coaching within the polyamory community is that I can support my community. I can do it as a peer, right? I can connect with my lived experience. Right. As, as a, your coach who's played the game. Right. You know? yeah. 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 Whereas as a therapist, like there are certain boundaries I have to maintain. I can't be like, oh yeah, me too. Yeah, um, right. absolutely. Right. You can't do that. But when you're coaching someone, you can talk about your own personal experiences a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so much where like we're not taught how to be polyamorous. We're not given a script for that. Right. We're raised with uh, we grew up seeing the, the heterosexual cisgender monogamous script kind of play out in movies and TV, um, often with our families. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the compat script, the compulsory heterosexual script script. And and, you know, it's so interesting that you just man, managed a message. Um, I'm sorry, I can't talk today. It's it's late in the day for me. <laughs> Um, but it this just came to me. I don't think I've ever seen a polyamorous relationship in a movie that was portrayed positively. Am yeah. I right? Is there one that I need to go watch? <laughs> and the listeners need to go watch. You it's know, like lesbian I'm... relationships, you know, like the lesbian movies, oh, the lesbian always dies in the end. <laughs> oh gosh, right? <laughs> yeah. Um you know, I can't think of any positive examples off the top of my head. I know that TV shows, right, and like um, shows on streaming services have started to edge more into some positive portrayals or at least more neutral portrayals, but largely like tragic endings, big explosions, you know, worst case scenario. So can I pick your brain a little bit about polyamory? And is that OK? OK, sure. because people are very curious about it. And so what kind, so you mentioned in your bio that you help with the dating coming out as non-monogamous to family and friends and navigating feelings related to non-monogamy. I can imagine communication must be one of the most challenging aspects of being in a non-monogamous relationship. Well, it's also challenging in a monogamous relationship too. (laughs) Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah. 
You know, I think one of a kind of a trope in polyamory is just that you're talking about your feelings all the time, just like endlessly. And that's definitely something that can happen. But something I work with people to show them, it doesn't have to be that way necessarily, at least not in a, you know, a soul draining kind of way. I find that there's a lot of value in learning about our inner selves mm-hmm. and you know, kind of getting right with ourselves, getting um, settled with our own feelings Mm -hmm. and then figuring out communicating those with others. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is figuring out what people are are, like, helping people figure out what they're actually saying, what they actually Mm -hmm. mean, right? They might be um, upset with their partner about the, you know, saying I'm upset about the dishes, but the reality is that maybe they are feeling like, oh, you don't care about me. And the dishes are just symbolic of that. True. Yeah. That's in, you know, monogamous relationships as well, that people struggle with those things. What are, so when somebody is curious about this and they're they're thinking, well, maybe I am non-monogamous or polyamorous and they start to date. What are some pieces of advice would you give to somebody who's just thinking about trying this out that, you know, it sounds like something that might be a good fit for them? I would definitely encourage people to, one, educate themselves ahead of time Mm -hmm. so that they can learn red flags. They can learn about good practices with boundaries and kinds Mm -hmm. of expectations to have for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think about the biggest risk is people getting into toxic situations or getting taken advantage of because they're new to it and they don't know what to expect or kind of what the norms are or what's considered maybe unethical behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is a red flag? Ooh, so uh, a big one would be um, if you are seeing, starting to see someone who has another relationship and they don't want you to meet or interact with that partner at all, mm-hmm. that could be mm-hmm. a red flag for like a bunch not of reasons. consensual. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another one could be someone saying, oh, you can just unilaterally, right, making the decision of you can date me, but you can't date anyone else, but I'm going to date other people. Or someone who is maybe dating, like, kind of, I, I think of it as like a gotta catch them all, like Pokemon reference of like someone who seems to just be kind of constantly acquiring partners and not setting partners up for expectations of relationships when Mm -hmm. that's not what they're actually seeking. So yeah, those are a few of the things that kind of come to mind. So as you know, I work with the late in life community. And what I find is that when people are, you know, starting to explore their sexual orientation, often for the first time, they, they call it polyamory. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But it's really like uh, opening their marriage. It's which to me, there's a different those are different definitions. For me, opening your marriage means that you both can date other people. While polyamory, you you're usually, you know, there's maybe a shared relationship with somebody else or something like that. I had another polyamorous coach on and she goes, oh, you're talking about the and I'm going to swear here. So parents, 
fair warning, um, the one dick rule, like, <laughs> you know, like you can go and be polyamorous with this person, but you only can be polyamorous with this person because she's a woman inherently not as valuable as if you were going to go into a relationship with a man. Do you come across that much, Randy? Like when people oh. are like starting to explore this and they just sort of have a misunderstanding. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even if there's not a restriction, kind of the fetishization mm-hmm. of those relationships where it seems like, oh sure, I'm fine with you doing that because I think it's it's sexy, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely something that that can be an issue or people seeking a pre-existing couple seeking a third specifically as like a sex object mm-hmm. rather than as a whole person. Right. You know, that's some of the advice that I give people because they talk about, you know, oh, my husband said I can date or something like that or, you know, various offshoots of that kind of conversation, but typically in the same vein. And I always say to remind people, I said, you realize you're bringing a full human being into this relationship that has feelings, that has emotions, that, and it's so interesting is they don't, a lot of times people don't think of that at all. Like This is going to be a human, you know, that may fall in love with one of you, or you may fall in love with her. It's always a woman. I, you know, I've, it's, it's never a man. For at least in my communities that I serve. Yeah, um, 99% of the time. Yeah, 90, or, you know, it, or, or it's a non-binary person or maybe a trans person and a trans person's a woman, of course. So, but it's very interesting how, how people don't even consider that. This is another human being that is coming into your relationship. Yeah, you know, we're all kind of the, the stars of our own story and that can really put blinders on us. And then, you know, I would say on the other side of it, some of these people who uh, end up in the situations as like a, you know, a third person or dating someone who's kind of just allowed to date. Yeah. There's not seeing themselves even as the star of their own show. Right. Mm -hmm. And not, not uh, valuing themselves and seeing that they can have better and deserve better and deserve to be treated as a whole person. Right. If it is a situation where everyone is consenting and happy and all of that, then, you know, there's so many different ways to be. But, you know, in those cases where it is a a toxic and difficult situation. Mm -hmm. So what is the most challenging thing about running your business? I'd say the biggest thing is getting the word out. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's so much noise on the Internet. Right. Just trying to to get your message out there and be heard and reach the right people. And uh, polyamorous communities can be a little bit secretive because there's growing acceptance and awareness. But it is still something where people can very much feel at risk, right, of being out or uh, and so maybe they don't engage with the community or they're very private about it and are very, very closed off and perhaps not in places to receive messages of like, hey, here are some other supports that are out there for Well, it's really interesting because um, I was reading your bio again and you talk about coming out to uh, as non-monogamous. And, you know, I never really thought about that before, but I bet for some people, I remember when my friend's daughter was in a polyamorous relationship and her mother just 
she was like, she just didn't understand. Like, neither did I at the time, by the way. So, you know, I was like, oh, I'd never do that. And just sort of dismissed it and everything. And this was about seven, eight years ago. Now I've had such more exposure to it. I, you know, I don't feel the same way. But I remember being very, she just did not, she thought her daughter was being used. Yeah. And that's all she, that's all she thought. Her daughter's pretty damn smart. I don't think her daughter was being used at all, but she just couldn't wrap her head around polyamory. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, uh, I hear that a lot of like, oh, I could never. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's fair. It's definitely not for everyone, but people do have a hard time understanding sometimes that it can be like a really wonderful thing. So I got to ask you a question. One of the reasons why that I've always been like, I'm too jealous. I could not. I just am too jealous. I like the thought of my wife being with somebody else. And I just like, nope, can't do that. Is that a normal response to people who've never practiced? Poly- I mean, like, I don't want to. I'm not I really am not interested. But is it a normal response where people say, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm just too jealous or something like that. Yeah, I'd say in general, that's a, that's what I hear from people who aren't interested in any kind of non-monogamy. Something I think would surprise people more is that jealousy is normal even for people who are some kind of Mm non-monogamous. And there's this term in the community called a compersion, which is the idea of being happy that your partner is happy, right? So like your Mm -hmm. partner is maybe on a date with someone and you just feel this good happiness that they're they're on that date. And so sometimes jealousy is kind of stigmatized and compersion is held up as the ideal. But the truth is you can have healthy relationships and manage feelings of jealousy and not be upset that your partner's on a date, but also not feel like your own warm, fuzzy feelings about it. Yeah, I think that would be, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think that would be somebody who has used to practicing this for a while or are, I'm just so curious about this or are people who are more like naturally uh, like, you know, it's not more of a choice, but they just feel like they've been born as somebody who's polyamorous. Are they like, you know, they just don't have the same feelings of jealousy that other people have. I'm just curious. I mean, I, and I'm, I know yeah. they can't do a blanket statement saying everybody, but I'm just curious what like what's the scuttlebutt in the community? <laughs> yeah. You know, so there are definitely people who don't particularly experience jealousy or they don't experience jealousy over the same things that people who aren't practicing non-monogamy might expect. Right. Like maybe like romance or not jealous about, but like don't play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons with them, like, yeah. or something like that, right? Like board games. That's Night ours. Sacred. That is ours. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But yes, I think that to be successful, right? To do a good job with managing jealousy, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, I've been polyamorous kind of practicing on and off for my whole adult life. And so I had to do a lot of my own work and learn a lot of lessons the hard way myself. And I would say I'm definitely at a very different place now than I was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even three or four years ago, right? It's a constant evolution. Would you be hesitant right now to be in relationship with somebody who's brand new to all this? Just I'm not sure. Personal. Okay. I mean, I was just because, so for example, in the lesbian community, sometimes people are reluctant to date somebody who's just coming out or new to this experience, not 
has nothing to do with sex, just because there's so much stuff that people have to go through. And I, I'm just curious, do you, you said you're not sure. Yeah. The last new that I new relationship I was in a few years ago was with someone who was brand new to it. And there was a lot of positive things about that relationship, but there were also difficulties. Um, also because that was someone else who they were also married. And so it wasn't just them who, it wasn't just that person who was new to it. It was that person and their spouse. Right. Married to a man or a woman? A woman. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's some, yeah. Yeah. And, and their spouse was, um, monogamous. So they were doing a, a mono poly situation, which is a whole other level of tricky. And so I'm, I would have to put a lot of thought into it before I entered into things with someone brand new to it. Mm -hmm. I was just curious. So what's your biggest, what's the most thing you're most proud of about your business? I think that the thing that I'm most proud of is Doing educational work. Um, I put a lot of content out there that's educational, that people can access it at no cost before, you know, I want to add a lot of value for everyone, not just necessarily for people who are paying, although mm -hmm. if people want to pay to work with me. That's great. And so that is the thing that that I feel really proud of is, is that I'm putting that content out there. People are engaging with it and people are learning things and hopefully improving their lives and their relationships with it. You know, I do a lot of content as well. And what I've found, what I've come to it in my own thinking is that the people that do pay me and get the individualized attention and, and all the stuff that I offer to my, I do a group coaching program, all the stuff that's offered to them through that program is they really are helping me support other people as well, because their willingness to invest in a relationship with me in the sense of me being their coach lets me be able to produce content, do things like this. You know, like which I couldn't, you know, if people weren't, you know, so I, that's how I, I think it's just like a big, big exchanges of energy all over the place, you know? Absolutely. So, so someone's thinking it's so someone is coming from a therapist background and is thinking about becoming a coach. What would your first piece of advice be? To first be really clear about how you want to work as a coach, like who you want to be serving, what kind of your, your niche is and how that's different from your work as a therapist. Mm -hmm. My specialty as a therapist is very different from the work I'm doing as a coach. Mm -hmm. And that's very important also for ethical and legal reasons mm -hmm. because my therapy license could be impacted if it seemed like I was also doing therapy without a license in these other situations. Uh, so that makes I have a to lot make of sense. Clear. Yeah. Coaching is very different. Yeah, that makes absolutely a lot of sense because I work up with a lot of therapists becoming coaches and and that's a great piece of advice, Randy. I'm going to remember that one <laughs> because yeah. people are often very, very concerned about their licensure and stuff like that. But if they practice it outside of their scope, then that's OK as a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how about a queer person? What would your piece of advice to a queer person who is going into this field of work? Into, into coaching. coaching. Yeah. Or therapy. 
doesn't really matter. Yeah. But we're talking about coaching today. So yeah. <laughs> how about as a coach? Does it, is there a piece of advice for them? You know, I, I think that with coaching that showing up authentically mm-hmm. is so important and you know, really like being real, people can tell if you're being fake, if you're just kind of putting on a show. And so it's important to show up as your, your real self, including queer or other identities that are important to you as they relate to your work. Yes. I think being, you know, it's interesting. I find a lot of people that are queer often call themselves authenticity coaches. And I'm always like, what does that mean? Because, but really what they're talking about is being gay. And, and it does take a bit of bravery to be a queer coach or an LGBT coach or something like that, because not so much from the queer world, but from the straight world, you can really get some stuff thrown at you and things like that. But if we're expecting our clients to be authentic, then we have to be authentic as, as much as we possibly can be. Yeah. And that's something that I've even branched into a little bit in my therapy work just in the past couple of years i've started to put on my bio pages that i am queer and Mm -hmm. being more open about being polyamorous because it's important that other people uh see who have those identities see that they can be helped by people with those identities right right connect and what when we put things like that down we normalize it yeah Like it's normal and it is normal. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I think a lot of times people in the beginning, especially of this queer journey, are so worried about offending somebody or something like that. And usually it's, you know, parent parental figures. But really, it's the more we show up authentically as ourselves, the more other people will be brave enough to do it. And also somebody's looking for somebody just like you, a queer person who's polyamorous and really could use some help because you said it before and earlier in the podcast is that a lot of times your uh, colleagues are looking for that person to educate them. And the nice thing with somebody working for with you who's queer and polyamorous is that they don't have to educate you one bit about those communities. You got it, you know? So you speak the same language, which is really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Randy, it was wonderful having you on the show today. So people can find you at Randy at randyrobbins.com. Where are you on social? I am on TikTok and Instagram at at Randy Robbins LLC. And I also have a Facebook group called Find Your Way Polyamory Education and Support. Great. Well, thank you so much, Randy. It was great having you on the show today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA plus businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.